thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It is Thursday, January 4th, and today is National Missouri Day. It's also National Trivia Day and Rico's favorite meal, National Spaghetti Day. Thank you for joining. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, shit, dude. Yeah, you know it. Yeah. Thank, thank you for joining it and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can look down below on your screen to see where we live on the internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday, coming to you live on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So welcome to everyone joining us from any one of those platforms and kicking it off today. That's right. It's the spaghetti eating champion of the world. That's right. It's the dope dad himself, Mr. Rico Meat. <laughs> I'm sure there's like an M&M joke in there somewhere. It's only saying. only if you add meatballs in there. Not a, I'm not a Ron DeSantis fan. Yeah, so, there we uh, go. There we go. I'll catch I'll catch up with you later on uh, what mm-hmm. the punchline was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Either way, man. It's tough times, man. Tough times in California. And way to start the year off with a bang. They're shutting down all the labs. That's right. According to SF Gates, uh, Lester Black, in a shot to the bow for a number of Golden State operators, California has officially shut down testing of popular products at a majority of cannabis labs previously certified to check the potency of cannabis flower, a move intended to combat widespread labeling scams in the industry, right? So uh, to fight the out-of-control lab lab shopping issue, California Department of Cannabis Control rolled out new requirements for testing flour, including bud and non-infused pre-rolls. According to the DCC's website, as of January 3rd, only 12 of the state's 38 labs had had met the new requirements. Non-compliant labs can still test other products, including edibles and vape pens, but until they prove that they can meet the new standards, they'll be blocked from testing flour, by far the most popular category of legal weed. Per the article, uh, California law requires all cannabis products to be tested at state-certified labs for contaminants like pesticides as well as potency for THC, the most common intoxicant found in cannabis. On uh, packages of cannabis flour, the THC potency displayed as a percentage similar to how beer or wine is labeled with alcohol percentages. DCC doesn't expect to uh, the reduction in licensed labs to delay any products from hitting the market. What do you think about that, Jason? <laughs> and, more, <laughs> and more labs will likely be approved in the future, said uh, David Hafner, spokesman for the agency. We don't expect any delays, uh, but they could happen, Hafner said in an email to SFK. Regardless, our focus is enforcing the rules, and we encourage the industry to work with the labs utilizing the approved method, end quote. New regulations are a result of the law passed by state legislature in 2021 in an effort to fight labeling fraud, or as we call it, lab shopping, in the legal weed illegal weed market. Customers tend to pay more for pot products labeled with higher THC content, creating an incentive for labs to inflate results of their tests so the customers and farmers who sell can- um, wholesale cannabis can charge more for their products. So um, this is definitely a big shock to the system, and uh, it's been hanging there for a while, and they're finally going to enforce that. Um, all of these labs are shut down, and uh, apparently only seven currently can 
lab test flower. I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street. Love to hear what you guys think about this one. Is this going to stop the lab shopping? <laughs> I mean, well, it's only going to allow you well, to choose gonna... from seven different labs. That's for sure. But I think I think it's only temporary. Monopoly group there. I think it's only temporary that that uh, that these seven labs have the monopoly on testing flour. Yeah, until more get approved, the exactly. other ones aren't up to par. Well, I mean, I, I mean, in all, in all fairness, the DCC needs to do this because there needs to be standard standardization in regards with the testing results, since since we're allowing for the whole uh, consumer base to rely on the onerous of THC percentages when they're choosing their cannabis products. Whatever happened to that $11 million that they gave uh, San Diego State uh, to uh, make the lab testing uniform across the industry? Well, I'm sure that, that, that? Uh, well, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm sure that $11 million went to creating this program because, because all the labs have a certain SOP that they have to adhere to in regards with flower testing. That's why they made it this, and those are the only seven labs that have passed the muster of the state's, uh, state's uh, critique in their lab testing. Yeah, what you got smaller? Yeah, find the money, Rico. I'm looking for the money down I don't here, think right? they yet have a standard that the state uh, will approve that you can set the can calibrate your machines and I, I think that still is a problem because you can have all the SOPs you want, but if you can't calibrate that machine the same standard every time, then at least there's some wiggle room for the results. To, to, to I think my, they were all just phony as hell. To my to my understanding, oh. Dale, to my understanding is is that the is the state has a specific SOP for how they have to calibrate their machines, just 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 like you said, um, and and they have to adhere to that every single time for every single flower test. Therefore, therefore, the this should put a dent or a stoppage in the inflation of artificial THC percentages. Do you think it's going to lead to a? A huge drop in THC percentage in California cannabis. Um, I think, I think, uh, I think, I think uh, customers are going to get sticker shock, and I think it's going to be the first time that you're going to see um, uh, people Real that are people that are, people that are no, no pe- people that are able to sell their older product faster than their newer product because it'll have a higher THC percentage. Ooh, I, I mean, I think twist. the sticker shock is going to come from customers, wholesale customers, who have less choices for testing labs, knowing that it's the rarest license type in California, and understanding that this is now a supply chain business. And when you only have a handful, single-digit number of labs in the largest cannabis market in the state and in a very geographically diverse uh, uh, sub-markets, I think it's going to raise the cost of testing to uh, to producers. Oh, I think and, it, and it'll I think that- Oh, go ahead. No, honey. Go I think ahead. that I think that the consumer is the. I, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Fearless, fearless leader, but I agree with our host because I, I was just sitting here thinking about that, and I'm like, yo. And on top of that, they're they're gonna pay because then the consumer is gonna have to pay. Of course. So, and you know what happens after that? This is something that me and my brother Rico, the meat, would say: the trap will always win. Yeah, the traps. <laughs> the traps gonna just gonna use Photoshop for all always. their lab tests. <laughs> <laughs> the trap is going to lie about him. The trap is going to be like that's, that's what I'm saying. They're going to use I mean, Photoshop yeah, no, to make Photoshop all, all their COAs. It, it, yeah, Photoshop's too expensive. They're using Canva. Canva. What about what about Adobe? What about Adobe Illustrator? I can see that's, that too. That's Photoshop mm-hmm. uh, Illustrator for the for the uh, decks <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for making like exactly. But uh, interesting, we got Dr. 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 Mark Sheldon in the chat, and he says that machine calibration is not the issue. And he also says it's hard to make return on investment for testing labs, which need more than a million in capital to get the instrumentation required. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's like three million, right? Uh, he, said, he, said, he said he said more like than a million. million. Yeah, in, um, so I think in between one and three yeah. million, I think I think you're going to be able to get the equipment. Yeah, it's expensive as hell. It's the most, it's, it's the least attainable license to get. Mm-hmm. And up until now, it has been the uh, least regulated. <laughs> it is the least regulated, that's for sure. And I, I'd say even now, it's still it's still the least regulated. They just have some SOPs in place that they need to follow. And it's only really these seven labs that are flower testing that they need to do it. All the other labs are just out trying to search for all the gummy clients they can find right now. Right. I thought it was good to see uh, SC Labs and, um, and Bell Costa. Mm-hmm. My guys over there, uh, Nate over Bill Costa and, uh, and Alec. 
over and, at uh, yeah, I spoke with Labs Alec last night actually about this whole thing. Um, and Lester's article dropped like actually while we were talking. Are you serious? Um, and he, <laughs> yeah, and uh, he wasn't too concerned about some of the um, the commentary that people had about this issue um, regarding whether there'll be a bottleneck. I know that Lester talked about that in his, um, and whether or not the market will truly be affected. He feels like at this point, the truth will come out and it will actually benefit the consumers who will realize that THC potency is not the definitive um, uh, way to determine quality. I don't think that, I don't think that the average consumer is going to determine that on their own. I don't think they're smart enough to do that. No. It, it, like, like we were um, we were talking about this um last I don't want to say like last week talk about it, it's, it's like you're uh, you're paying eighty dollars for a bottle of uh, or a fifth of Everclear mm-hmm. are you going to do that you're gonna buy uh, t- uh, you know, spend top shelf pricing on grain alcohol no but that's mm-hmm. what people are, do, are pretty much doing they're, they're they're paying a premium for something that's just gonna smack you in your face it's not really going to get you the high that you want right but they believe what they want to believe. Just like uh, the whole Indica Sativa thing, it's all about marketing. I think Alec Dixon and SC Labs may be a little insulated from some of the conversation in so much as they probably already attract the type of testing customers that want to understand the cannabis products that are being tested, want to understand the terpenes. They've been at the forefront of this conversation Mm -hmm. around a more robust understanding of the entourage effect and the other inputs and how those actually affect the end user slash consumer experience. And so uh, I would imagine that SC Labs already attracts the type of customer that understands the potency from a THC uh, perspective it is a myoptic way of looking at it. They recently won an award in Vegas, and, and Dixon's been doing this testing for longer than many people have been in regulated cannabis. Right. Um, I don't know that that gives them a comprehensive perspective on the entire industry. Um, and I think that they'll be the least affected by some of this because they've already been innovating and at the forefront of the conversations around education and terpenes. The only thing I would say as a skeptic is we've been having this conversation about educating the consumer beyond THC potency for five or six years now. And the truth is the consumer doesn't seem that motivated to be educated. What they seem to be motivated to have is value and we can't have value in regulated cannabis until we have tax reform. Yeah, oh, I think uh, Alec Alec and uh, and Nate over at um at Bel Casa, they've been they've been beating that drum man since 2016 2017. Yeah. So big big ups to them. I'm glad they're on that list and they have been trying to get that messaging out and um is even before uh, we were really legally uh, able to do shit out here, they were actually saying that that's that's one of the issues that we need to uh, um tell the the new common lay consumer that was going to be coming into the market is like, yo, like high THC is not where you want to be. And it's all about the entourage effect. And, but, um, mm-hmm. people buy what they want to buy. So, you know I'm saying? Like, so here's, here's, you know, sh- shout out to Bill Costa and, and SC labs and, and all of the other seven labs that, that got that, that, that made it through seven finalists. Yeah. The seven, the <laughs> the seven finalists. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> Dr. Mark brings up other, another interesting uh, point. He says a big issue with testing is needing to report potency on a dry weight basis, which all samples that come in are not dried. So in the rapid, dr- so in the rapid drying terpenes are lost and THC percentages go up. And that looks like that's going to be a hack for people um, within the space to just submit their wet weed for testing and package it mm. wet. Man, I feel sorry for the consumer if people are jarring up. There's, yeah, there's always a loophole, and people it's yeah. all about the money, right? Yep, it is. It is. <laughs> it's all about the money. No, industry built on loopholes. I literally just said the same thing yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Oh yeah, look at Rochelle's getting it right now. Mm-hmm. Get it, Rochelle. Is, is that is that is that some Delta Eight, Rochelle? <laughs> God, this is real weed, my friend. Real THCA. Oh yeah, THCA. Leave her alone. It's legal. THCA. They love that shit out there. Oh, THCA. Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man. You know what's crazy? I just seen somebody get arrested for smoking THCA. Yeah. Yeah, they got they got jacked at the bus stop and then for buying it from a head shop and smoking it. Yeah, we all saw it. Everybody saw it. We keep referencing it. 
Yeah, people getting well at the same time. Well, they, 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 they were smoking, smoking it. Yeah, they weren't. They were, yeah, they lit. They lit THCA on fire. Yeah, which which made which makes THC Delta Nine because it's not it's not THC Delta Nine until you decarboxylate it, which means lighting it on fire. And on that, we're gonna go to a commercial break, and we're gonna be right back. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. He's the cannabis industry's longest continuously operating retailer. He's also known for smoking the best weed in the world. And um, he's going to be pretty silent about uh, this uh, list that's been released earlier. But um, I'm not going to take it to politics today. Y'all know who it is. Jason Beck. Oh, yeah, yeah, Rico. That's right. The list is out. You know, it's like Santa's list. Let's see who is naughty and who is nice. But yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I have an interesting story for you guys. I think a lot of people are going to be all up in arms about this. Literally, like champions. Because the UFC removes cannabis from the banned substances list, you guys. That's right. The UFC, the ultimate fighting championship, has taken a significant step in sports health and safety by formally removing marijuana from its list of banned substances for athletes setting a progressive example in the realm of professional sports. The UFC's decision to exclude cannabis from its prohibited substances is an extension of its earlier reform back in 2021, which protected fighters from being penalized for testing positive for THC. The revised anti-doping policy aims to align with the World Anti-Doping Agency's, basically, WADA list, yet it notably deviates by excluding marijuana, reflecting a more nuanced approach to substance regulation in sports. In a press statement, UFC Chief uh, Business Officer Hunter Campbell highlighted the organization's ambition to lead with the most effective and progressive anti-doping program in all of professional sports. The policy, which came into effect on December 31st, is part of UFC's broader effort to ensure a fair and safe competitive environment. The initiative also includes a new partnership with Drug Free Sport International for sample collection and shipping, uh, further solidifying UFC's commitment to athlete health and performance integrity. Jeff Novitsky, UFC Senior Vice President of Athlete Health and Performance, emphasized that the updated anti-doping program is the culmination of extensive input and and trial, uh, signifying an ongoing commitment to evolve based on scientific evidence that and athlete welfare. The move is seen as a significant stride in acknowledging the changing societal and scientific perspectives on marijuana use and its implications for athletes. The UFC's policy shifts shifts uh, mirrors a broader te- trend in sports organizations reevaluating their stance on marijuana amidst a growing legalization movement. Several entities have recently adjusted their drug policies to be more accommodating of cannabis use in the past few years, including the NCAA and NBA and NFL, among others. State sport regulators and other organizations Organizations like the New York Media Softball League, is that even a thing, have also (laughs) adapted their uh, approaches, reflecting a shift in recognizing the potential therapeutic benefits and reduced stigma surrounding marijuana. These changes in the sports world align with a broader societal shift toward more progressive views on cannabis, particularly given its legal status in various jurisdictions. However, despite these evolving perspectives, the World Anti-Doping Agency continues to maintain a ban on cannabis, citing concerns about the spirit of sport and athlete role modeling. This stance has drawn a criticism, particularly in the wake of high-profile cases like U.S. runner Sheree Richardson's or excuse me, Shikari Richardson's Olympic suspension for positive THC test. The case uh, spurred a widespread call for policy reform, including from con- uh, including from the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, the White House, and congressional lawmakers, highlighting a growing un- consensus that international rules on marijuana need to be reconsidered 
to reflect contemporary understanding and attitudes towards the substance. Well, um, I just want to know which UFC fighter refused to stop smoking cannabis based on the fact, on the fact that they was otherwise wouldn't yeah. fight. So what? What? So which which fighter is this all about? And thank you, UFC, Maybe, yes. for changing your policy. And what do you guys have to say about this? This is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News. What do y'all think? Me and Rico was saying it already. We couldn't wait to get it out. Yes, baby. Yeah. Nadia's been been saying that's right. Oh, man. All because of Nadia's. Back in like 2018, 2019. He's puffing on the vape right after the fight. And he said, I'm medicating so I can recover. So Everybody's no, heads exploded. You, you know what I really, you know what I really took away from this po- from the, from this shift in policy, um, is is that basically I feel as though that they're just opening it up for cannabis companies to be able to sponsor athletes in the UFC. Well, of no, because see, the thing is, athletes in the UFC can't be sponsored by individual companies. They have to, they have to go. They, what they you are, mean? They are. What you mean? They wear they I'm wear company about, shorts all the time. No, no, bro, listen to me. No, they used to. Listen, I, this is this is my life, bro. Listen, okay. A boxer right. put anything he want on his trunks. All right. A UFC fighter will have venom on his trunks or a monster on his trunks because everything in UFC is UFC branded. So they'll have a sponsorship deal with the sponsor, and then they will give the fighter pennies, like nothing. You know what I mean? Like. So you're saying whatsoever. all UFC sponsorships are all done through UFC, and then and then mm-hmm. they they give the athletes whatever they a get. Pool of money. Yes, that's how that's how it works. A like, uh, UFC fighter cannot so go, go down economic. I'm not mad at yeah, that. They, they can't go in the ring wearing something specifically that they were paid to put on. They used to years ago, but in the last ten years, they could they couldn't do that. Shout no, out to that, like, shout out to Dana White. Now shout out shout out to Danae Diaz for 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 you know for smashing through that glass ceiling mm-hmm. and, uh, and right. making it so so athletes uh, after him could actually uh, 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 smoke and. They can break down these barriers, man. So I think I, combat athletes and, and Mike Tyson too. You know, and I know we, I know a lot of people. I'm not gonna get into the politics of Mike Tyson, but um, but Mike Tyson bringing on all these combat athletes and um, what his company mm. has, has has done. Like a lot of these guys are like, yo, we're beat up. We we need more uh, recovery than the average athlete, and it's good for them. And um, did you say you his know, ex-wife? I said I know they I'm were catch beat a lot up of heat. I know, as I always do in, in the comments when I when I bring up Mike Tyson's name, but um, he has done a lot uh, to push it forward. <laughs> With combat athletes, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it could be said that he has been a net positive for the movement when it comes to athletes and uh, cannabis. In my opinion, what, what, what are your thoughts, Yaro? I see, I see your brain ahead, getting ready to part. explode. Go Look, ahead. I mean, I, I'm just going to say what I say. The neighborhood I grew up in, convicted rapists never come back from that. God can forgive, society forgives, but we don't affiliate. I would also just say that rape is one of the hardest things to get convicted of, especially when you have a very robust budget for a legal team. I would say I thoroughly enjoyed his TV show with the doves or the pigeons, and I'm not mad at somebody who wants to reform their life, but... Uh, I don't think he's a good ambassador for the industry just because of that life history, which includes violence outside the ring and violence against women. So for me, you'll never see me in line at the Futurola booth to try to get a picture with that gentleman. That's just my own personal uh, set of standards for who I personally affiliate with. I do think onto the article that this is obviously progress and that it's still painfully slow progress. I thought about that, 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 world-class sprinter who was disqualified and how many years it's been since then. And this notion that athletes using cannabis makes them bad role models. First of all, athletes never asked to be role models. The reason why athletes are role models is because we have a superficial society that doesn't think about teachers and firefighters and nurses as role models and glorifies anybody who gets more than their 15 minutes of fame. And secondly, uh, the fact that the NFL, the NBA, the MLB and some of these larger, like the U.S. doping agency, aren't further along it, it is a testament to the glacial pace of progress. And I just think that it's this is a great story and it's progress. But I'm still looking at the rest of the glass that's still half empty and the fact that all athletes deserve to be able to benefit from state or country's rights that allow for the use of cannabis outside of the time that they're in the ring. And so... Congratulations to UFC, uh, Nate, breaking the glass cartridge, not the glass ceiling, and 
there's a lot of room still for improvement, and that's what I'm focused on. Well, I think that uh, I like to go. I like to go back to that that press conference when he was he was huffing on that uh, crude oil. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> back in the day, go, go. I'm medicating. Go go for it, Tony. <laughs> I, just, I just want to say, right? Um, you know, in light of all of this, uh, I I I, I agree that an adult should be able to do what it is they want to do, but I believe that once you get yourself in a profession that tells you this is conduct that they they don't want. Um, I think that once you sign into that, you're kind of obligated to deal with it too at the same time. Mm. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that people can medicate. It is, there are people there that I know that, um, in the UFC, I have friends that fight, like real friends that fight and friends that fight in the UFC. So I'm happy that you can do whatever you want to do, but I'm just saying for, you know, other athletes coming in, you know, to whatever respective sport that you may have, you have to understand that I don't want my kids smoking pot. You know, like, so I don't smoke around my kids. You understand? So um, there are certain people that don't just want that around their, their children. They don't want, because then it bring, it does open up doors. It opens up doors for them to create commercials and, and stuff that other kids are going to see and, and, and then become curious about. And all I'm saying is that, yeah, I'm happy that it happened, but at the same time, I need people to understand that. When you do sign up for jobs and they tell you you can't do certain stuff, don't be mad that they're not doing what the UFC did. I mean, you can continue to push until you try to break that glass ceiling, but for some jobs, it's just not going to change it. Well, I just have one quick thing to close this 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 story out, you guys. I just wonder if all of the winners coming up in the UFC are all going to be cannabis consumers. I wonder if they are going to say that cannabis is a, sport, a sports-enhancing drug. But on the on that, we are going to move it right on in to Mr. Attorney at Law, Mr. Dale Schaefer. He's the founder of Armada Law Practice and at one point in time did some time for a cannabis crime. And they recently just signed big old James Anthony to the firm, too. So big congratulations on that. That's right. It is none other than your favorite happy uncle, Mr. Dale Schaefer. Uh, good morning, everybody. Morning, it's a, your favorite Tio Loco. Yeah, yeah. James is a, another one of the OGs on on our staff right now, so I'm happy to be involved with that too. Um, my my story this morning uh, comes out of uh, Law 360, and the headline is "Pot Real Estate Crowd Funders Ran a Two Million Dollar Fraud." Uh, a suit says. Now, as I was reading this, and Yarrow, I think you can appreciate this. Um, I was thinking, how many uh, liars, frauds, and cheaters are out there trying to separate you from your money. And that no matter what the government tries to do to, to keep people out of an industry, they're going to find a way to get into it. Okay. So here's sort of the, the tale that we've got here. We've got a crowdfunding um, security sale, and the SEC allows uh, companies to have platforms that will sell securities through crowdfunding. And there are some rules you have to follow. Um, you got to have truth in what you put out there, uh, and you've got to keep bad actors out. Well, that's part of the problem we have here. Is we've got a, a guy that I'm going to say is a bad actor. His name is Kumake, I believe. And back in 2017, he got convicted of a mortgage fraud scheme in, I think, Michigan or, you know, yeah, Michigan. And so he's a bad actor. And in the securities business, once you get um, convicted of fraud, you, you can go onto these bad actors list and you're not supposed to be involved in any securities and exchange commission sales anymore. And this guy was not even supposed to be involved in running a business, which is pretty common. But in my experience, I found a lot of these guys come in and they try to be shadows in businesses. They set up straw men in front of them. And that's what it looks like happened here. Now, the plaintiff is an investor. He bought some of these convertible securities, this crowdfunding site, and immediately things began to smell a little bit. Uh, and apparently the SEC got involved pretty quickly too. And this guy, Shoemake, uh, behind the scenes had an attorney that you know, the, the statement and the complaint was they were romantically involved. And I don't know what all that means today, but you know, this attorney was was doing something maybe for some pleasure that she should have been advised to stay out of. But she's an attorney with no real estate experience and another guy that apparently had no business experience. And they set up 420 Real Estate LLC and Transatlantic Real Estate, and they offered these securities. Well, it turns out that the advertisements they put out there 
um, said they, they owned a bunch of uh, greenhouse space and they were going to improve it by these, these the sale of these securities. And it turns out they didn't do that. They siphoned the money off to some other businesses that the attorney's law firm and this guy Shoemake's business he set up, which is fairly common. And yeah, the other problem we have here is that this guy who ran the crowdfunding, you, you have to get securities and exchange permission to set these things up. And there's rules. And you, you have an obligation to look for bad actors and things that smell. You got to have warning lights on your on your dash. When they start blinking, you have obligations to go look. You can't be willfully ignorant. Okay? And so as these securities got put out, people were... Um, we're complaining right away. You know, we're not getting our certificates. There's things to smell here. He didn't do anything, didn't run a background check, in which case he would have found that this guy Shoemake, he's got a felony, he's a bad actor, can't be involved in this. Um, and the Securities and Exchange Commissions and a lot of states, when you get charged with fraud and convicted, and you are ordered not to be involved in these companies anymore. And as I read this, it reminded me of what we do here in California, where if you're an owner of a business and you're background checked, okay? So I have been approached by numerous individuals and I won't name anybody because I don't want to get them in trouble and I ain't a snitch, but wanted me to help them set up a straw man business scheme so they could run these businesses in the shadows and some neutral you know, person would have the license. And I refused, but I also ran into um, a situation where a person was a convicted felon and he was not supposed to be involved in these businesses and he was off the books. And I, I sniffed it out real quick. He got all pissed off because I called him out. And, uh, you know, if you know me, I don't give two shits whether somebody's pissed off at me because I'm representing a client. This guy's a lion sack of shit and I know what he's up to. And he finally admits to me that he's a straw, he's got straw men everywhere and he's running all these businesses and he's not supposed to be doing it. So I guess the cautionary tale here is that you need to really enhance your bullshit detector and have flashing lights on your dash that if things don't seem right, don't cut loose with your money until you do a little investigating here. And the other one is no matter how much the government tries to keep these bad actors out of businesses and these schemes, they find a way to get involved in them. Okay. So that's the story for, for today. Be very careful. Get your bullshit detectors really fine-tuned if you're going to invest, especially in cannabis. But this runs across all industries. And just be careful out there because like the old saying goes, a fool and his money are soon parted. Oh, that's my story. I'm going to throw it back at you. What do you all have to say about this? Did, did, did it say, Dale, what, um, what offices they're using to raise these funds or this crowdsourcing? Because it, um, it sounds oh, Yeah, it was. The name was, um, oh, shit. I mean, are they out of Palm Beach? I'm just wondering if it's the same group that High Times used because it sounds very similar. I, this doesn't say, and as I was reading, the complaint's 160 pages long, so I don't remember all this, but it's, it's called Fundana. It's True Fundana. Crowd Incorporated called Fundana. And when you read these names like, oh, that was somebody was smoking a blunt and decided, let's think of a name and, you know, pull a name out of their ass. And, mm -hmm. and there it was. So I don't know where they're from, honestly, Jason. Fund Anna. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. Would I'm going to jump in on this one because real estate's my lane. So the Good first thing that comes to mind for me is the number one way that people get in trouble in real estate is the way that they handle money. And that's why broker trust accounts are heavily regulated. The second thing that comes to mind is it probably doesn't make sense to be stooping your lawyer and in business together. I'm not sure that that's prohibited, but that is messy at best. The next thing that comes to mind is you can crowdsource and fund real estate through fractional ownership, and there's already traditional vehicles to do that, such as a real estate investment trust. And so anytime something doesn't look traditional, my mind always goes, well, why? The next thing is, is that, you know, in addition to this notion that a fool and their money is soon parted, in real estate, we have a term called caveat emptor, which I think is Latin for buyer beware. And what that mm -hmm. typically means is that you should be hiring third-party independent due diligence advisors who answer only 
to the buyer before they've completed a transaction and whose sole job is to assemble information for the purpose of evaluating the viability of the opportunity. And so anybody who didn't do that and put their money on the line, while I feel sorry for them, I also know that I have spent the last seven years earning an income and paying for my children's braces by doing exactly that due diligence, an independent advisor, someone who can speak truth and who can shoot holes through the bullshit. And so I feel sorry for the victims of this crime, but I also wonder how much they understood their own obligation to inform themselves and not just be lured in by the bright lights of the big city and the deck that looked exciting. And so, um, you know, real estate is hyper-local. And and so if they said that they were going to spend most of this money on CapEx for greenhouses, if I'm writing a check, I'm going to go look at those greenhouses. I'm going to go put boots on the ground. I'm going to spend the time to order a little flight from Southwest Airlines and go look at whatever real property I'm supposedly investing in. And so I just think that people who have money to spend need to be very thorough in the way that they deploy their dollars. I think that um, I think that uh, the people who are who found themselves um, basically uh, scammed by these individuals should really be looking at themselves to uh, to I, I, me personally. I feel like they're just as responsible as the scammer. Mm-hmm. I think that in order for you to be scammed, you have to be a willing participant. Uh, that means that you have to be um, lazy, intellectually lazy. That means you're not trying to even really understand what it is you're investing your money into and you just want to just okay okay just bring me money just bring me money and when you do stuff like that this is what happens when someone realizes that you're not really checking your cheddar like a food inspector um when someone says uh, when someone um when someone isn't doing that then it leaves the door open for someone to scam you they be like first thing they think is this guy don't care or by the time he find out they would have you know, stupid people say stupid stuff in their heads. They would have been like, well, by the time he found out, I would fix it already. So I can take this amount of money and I can flip it over here and then put it back. And then they'll never know the difference. There are a lot of people that being, uh, that have been scammed last year and that will be scammed this year because they refuse to actually do the uh, due, diligence, due diligence and check on where they're actually putting their money at. You got any thoughts I on say, this, I think it's... Yeah, go ahead, Rochelle. No. Yeah, like, I would say uh, it's like it's like three car money, man. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, it's immoral to let a sucker keep his money. <laughs> oh, man. Spoken like a true salesman. And on that, let's go to a commercial and we're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. Willing to be scammed. Right? Mm-hmm. Scammers. You with us, Rico? Oh, shit. Yeah. Sorry, my guys. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Oh, make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're not subscribed already. And all of the articles that we cover on today's show, you can find on our website at www.hyatt9news.com. But I do have one quick other thing to add into you guys. One quick point of point of mention. I received a letter today, and I think you guys are all going to want to know about this because it is extremely interesting. It is a policy from the San Francisco Sheriff's Department. And because of the new law that has now gone into effect in regards um, with employees and people using cannabis off work, they have sent a directive, you guys, uh, allowing all officers to consume cannabis while off duty as an official policy. And I have the letter right here if anyone wants to see it. And we're going to go to their next commercial. Let them smoke. I'm Jason Beck, and this is Smoky Vanilla. And if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. 
I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport, or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, Yee! yeah, you know what it is. We just stretched, and now we're going to smoke, because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. Yee! That means this with police brutality, it's going to hit different. Oh, God. All right. This, this it's a... second generation cultivator does not always believe in second chances, and that's okay because we accept all, all thoughts and prayers on this show. <laughs> He's the founder of Special Teams Consulting and got more fine china behind him than the CCP. Up next is the Sebastopol <laughs> Sage himself, Yaro Kublin. Oh, that is good. Oh. Man, the intro keeps getting better and better. This is Yaro Kubrin. Good morning, Thursday, January 4th, here on High at Nine News. Uh, my article today, ruling delayed in case over medical marijuana advertising. A Pulaski County Circuit judge said in an order recently that he wants more information about the basis for state rules prohibiting medical marijuana cultivators from advertising their product to the public before ruling on whether the prohibition is unconstitutional. Saying he is loath to act on an incomplete record, Judge Morgan Chip Welsh, in an order December 27th, gave the state and the plaintiffs in a lawsuit challenging the rules 90 days to gather information on the reason for the restrictions. He ordered a new hearing in the case for May 21st. The lawsuit was filed by Good Day Farms, a Pine Bluff medical marijuana cultivator, and Capital City Medicinals, a Little Rock dispensary, over laws the General Assembly passed regarding regulating medical marijuana. In June, Welsh declared 27 laws regulating medical marijuana in Arkansas void and unconstitutional, saying the state legislator, legislature had overstepped its authority. The judge deferred ruling whether the state can regulate the medical marijuana's industry abilities to advertise. In 2016, the voters approved Amendment 98, legalizing medical marijuana in Arkansas. And since then, the Department of Finance and Administration, which oversees the medical marijuana industry, crafted regulations on how dispensaries and cultivators can advertise their products. A cultivator, such as Good Day Farms, is not allowed to advertise through any public medium or means designed to market its products to the public. In a December 7th hearing, Gary Martz, an attorney for Good Day Farms, argued that the First Amendment gives medical marijuana companies the right to market their products. Good Day Farms argues that they are cultivators, their advertising is aimed at medical marijuana businesses, not the general public, something Martz likened to the ambiguous ads from Anheuser-Busch, which mostly sells its beer to licensed retailers and bars, not directly to consumers. The state has argued state regulations should be allowed to place tight regulations on advertising for medical marijuana products, given that the drug is illegal under federal law. Attorneys for the state also said the government has an interest in preventing medical marijuana products from being advertised to children. So let me kick this off before I ask this esteemed panel of participants what they think. I covered an article last week that also was about this notion that regulations, state regulations, could bar advertising for cannabis products, completely bar them. And so the, the challenge that I have is, it, it, it is multifaceted. The first is, I don't know how the state gets to argue that because medical marijuana products are illegal under federal law, that that somehow gives them a lane to prevent the advertising because they are acknowledging that they have a state program that is inconsistent with federal law. So I, I don't think you get to eat your cake and, and have it too. The second thing is, is that there, I don't know of any other businesses that aren't allowed to advertise at all. The third thing is, it, under medicine, there are regulations around how certain medicines can be marketed, but zero marketing seems awfully draconian. Also, I'm not sure how these companies are supposed to get the word out. Are they supposed to send smoke signals? <laughs> because if they can't get the word out, they can't create commerce. And if they can't get medical products to medical patients, why have a medical program at all if you're going to tie the shoelaces of the participants together and then ask them to run a foot race? I feel like there's a theme here, which is that we see a lot of programs that are stood up 
And the regulations and the sub rules within those regulations are so onerous that they're not really feasible. But states and municipalities can say, well, we have a program, we're participating. But if the rules within your program are so ridiculous, you don't have a program. What you have is chaos. What you have is a lack of coherent policy. And what you also have is a lack of opportunity for patients to access cannabis as medicine. This is Yaro Kubrin, High at Nine News, Thursday morning. What do you guys think? It's commercial speech, which is viewed differently than regular speech. Still, the First Amendment applies to commercial speech. And a complete ban, I think, is a tough one. And the argument that it's illegal under federal law somehow preempts um, the, the state from being able to, to do anything here, I, I think that's nonsense. Uh, it's been tried a lot of places that the Fed, being illegal under federal law, doesn't stop you from doing things under state law. And uh, right now, you could you get inundated on television with drugs. These are prescription drugs. I mean, these are controlled substances, and they're all over the goddamn TV. Your kids can watch it, okay? Uh, so the idea that somehow we don't want the children to watch this when it, it's it's double speak. I mean, you go into a grocery store, and the kids. I mean, I've taken my grandchildren to go get Christmas stuff recently, and right behind them is the liquor aisle. Oh, there's so much double speak here that I think they're in trouble. What the is give us your rationale, your understanding, because I think they're going to apply a higher level of scrutiny. You've got to, you've got to tell us why we're going to prevent people from having free speech rights. And I hope the government loses us. We need someone to ring a bell, especially like what's this Arkansas, which is. I don't want to, right. you know, crap on Arkansas, but it, it ain't the leading legal state in the in the in the nation. If somebody there goes, no, this is unconstitutional, then it's going to ring across the industry. And it, it ain't gummies being marketed to little children. This is an industry that needs commercial speech to it. I I 100% agree with you, and and I would challenge any any conservative that is behind this bill that they are not a true conservative because they are trying to ban free speech as well and so i would challenge mm -hmm. them on that uh that that is just just not appropriate it's not I appropriate from, from either I side that, um, i think that uh, i'm sorry jay go ahead you know what happened just to, you know reading the story you could just sit there and the writing is on the wall you know what i mean like rules for thee but not yep for me Mm -hmm. And I want to I want to segue over and I'm pretty sure Rico is going to be able to back me up on this, but it's a common conspiracy within the black community that these so-called rappers are basically working for the prison industries. They're working for the pharmaceutical yep. industries because you could literally put on a rap record right now and hear all type of designer drugs. See how they try to mm -hmm. try to make it nice and flashy as a designer drug. And they're, they're yeah. allowing you to promote a, a, a you know, set or whatever, you know, I don't even say the name of these pills, but they're allowing you to do this knowing that the pharmaceutical industry is creating them. They're making them. So they're making hand over fist. But the last thing they really want you to do is talk about a plant you can grow in your house naturally that will help you with pretty much everything that the poison pills are not helping you with, but they're supposed to. Yeah, you're right. And, um, you're right on, uh, Tony, with that. And I would say in today's world, there are way more weed rappers than ever has been in the history of hip hop music. Mm -hmm. Why don't we ever hear them? Mm -hmm. We never hear them on mainstream radio. Yep. <laughs> no, but you'll hear anything about it. Pharmaceutical pill. You hear yeah, it all day. I mean, shit. I mean, let 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 let's just use lean. Just just lean alone. You know what I mean? Don't even have to go right. with any pills. Just lean alone. Right. You Double are, cup love. You yep. the one I lean on. Exactly. Molly Percocet. Yeah, Molly Percocet. Molly, that should go hard though. Yeah, well, we got we, 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 we to keep this. We got we, we got to keep this train going. We still got we still Let's got some it. more stories. We coming up next. It is Miss Rochelle Gordon. She is the founder and editor at Green State Media. Did I get that right? Yes, Green State Media. Yeah, that's right. She's coming up, and she has an amazing story for you guys coming up. That's right. It is none other than Rochelle Gordon. Hi, Jason. I just wanted to confirm something from last week that we talked about. Uh, I've been cataloging my Lego collection, and I believe Jason had a an estimate that I had 44 Lego sets. Yes, Turns 44. Out it's close to two. 
110 is what the current one ten is at. So like the LA freeway. One. <laughs> exactly. With more on the way. So. My story today, great news out of the Bay. The Emerald Cup is back, celebrating an exciting milestone in Oakland. One of the world's most esteemed cannabis contests is about to celebrate its biggest accomplishment yet. It's been two decades in the making. Emerald Cup organizers told cannabis aficionados this week to mark their calendars for a 20th anniversary bash, May 4th and 5th to take place at the Henry J. Kaiser Center for the Arts in Oakland, California. The festivities will include a sprawling craft cannabis marketplace, panel conversations, performances from big name artists, and of course, the official Emerald Cup Awards. The Emerald Cup offers an air of excitement, fun, and community amid the continued uncertainty in the California market. As founder Tim Blake said in his announcement, quote, the Emerald Cup 20th anniversary is more than an event. It's a landmark in the history of cannabis culture. The event's humble beginnings in the Emerald Triangle as a way to mark the harvest season quickly evolved to become a California cannabis institution. Competition now boasts over 40 unique categories covering all sides of the market, from flower to concentrates to alternative cannabinoids and more. Dispensaries, cannabis photography, and social justice accolades are also given out at the annual gala. The Willie Nelson Lifetime Achievement Award is another highlight, with previous recipients including Hash Queen Mila Jansen, actor and activist Woody Harrelson, and the red-headed stranger himself. The Emerald Cup was held at the Santa Rosa Fairgrounds for several years. After a stint in Hollywood, the 2023 contest traversed back up the coast with a seaside soiree at the Craneway Pavilion in Richmond, California. According to Blake, attendees should consider the Bay the new ground zero for future cups. But we're thrilled to announce that our 20th anniversary Emerald Cup will take place at the historic Henry J. Kaiser Center for the Arts in Oakland next May, Blake told Green State. After years of looking for a permanent venue for the Emerald Cup, we're honored to be calling the Kaiser and the Bay Area home. Tickets for the Emerald Cup 20th anniversary are currently available and judges' applications are open. Competition submissions are welcome through February 9th, and hundreds of hopefuls are vying for a custom Ryan Fit Puffco trophy. With 20 years of evolution prior, this year's contest could be one of the most meaningful yet. So I don't know about you guys, I'm super excited to hear that the Emerald Cup is back. There was no harvest fall this past year, but it seems like they're combining the two events into one big bash. I can't wait. Um, I believe that I submitted uh, to the team a photo, my favorite photo I think that I took at last year's event. Can we pull that up really quick and see is that in the queue? Yeah, I think that is. I think that's getting pulled up right now for you. Always a good time. I know, Jason, I'll see you there. What do you guys think? Are you excited for the Emerald Cup? What can we expect this year? 20 years of the Emerald Cup. It's amazing. 20 years. I would years. like to see this Jason apply to become a judge. I am a Jason judge. Apply. I already am. Judge, yeah, 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 I've been yeah, a judge. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a flower judge, yes. When is it? When is it? When is it? When is it now? When is it? May 4th and 5th. Oh, there it is. Yes. There <laughs> we go. Look at them shades. Look Yo, at that. Me. Who is Give that guy? Me and Dr. Dope will be there. Uh, that's what I'm talking God, about. I'm gonna be there because uh, he's gonna be there. Yeah, big shout out to Tim, man. This is this is big. It's big for the industry and big, uh, big mm -hmm. throwback to everybody who's been in it forever to know what the uh, what uh, the Emerald uh, Fest is. What they um, excuse me, I'm sorry, caught up here. What he's the Emerald there. Cup is and uh, what they've been through over the last few years is it's it's really 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 exciting to see this mm -hmm. come through. Yeah. I'd love to add a little bit of input. I had the honor of judging the cartridge category last year. And the truth is, as a legacy cultivator and a medical cultivator, I didn't start going into the cup until we had Proposition 64 passed and I was no longer running lights and barns because I was afraid of being seen at an event with this type of visibility. What I really appreciate about the cup is their tenacity, their resiliency, their continued relevancy the second generation this is a a father daughter team that has continued to do this and the emerald cup is to american cannabis culture the way a norman rockwell painting is to americana i mm -hmm. mean this is baseball and apple pie for cannabis culture in america and mm -hmm. i'm 
I often wonder why they haven't taken this and made it a road show and done one in different states and different markets, but they've stayed true to the roots of where American cannabis has, has, has come from. And this last year, their event at the Crane Pavilion was fantabulous. And so I, like Rochelle, I was, I was bummed that we didn't have the harvest fall, but the event that they put on was amazing and was probably one of the best events of the entire year. And so what I know is that Tim gets it. This is show business. You're only as good as your last show. This organization doesn't rest on its laurels and continues to push conversations and amplify people who are doing great stuff. And so anybody who's watching this show who hasn't planned on being there this year, you're going to have to really, really think hard about where you put your time and resources because this is a very, very relevant event. Mm -hmm. And I would also like to quickly, uh, I know we have to keep on moving here, but I would also like to quickly say that uh, it's the one place that we all saw Jason bow down to some outdoor weed. Stop Praising it. it. You know, this is, this is the thing. This is, this is the thing I call, I call, I call, I call balls and strikes and winners and losers. And that outdoor weed that year was a true winner. And so it deserved to win. And so it did. Okay. Whether or not it would have been a winner in three months, like an indoor winner would have been, that's a totally different question. But on that day, that was the winner. Yes. Mm -hmm. And who knows? Who knows? Who knows? And make sure you get your entries in this year because you could be the next winner of the Emerald Cup competition. There's a whole host of different categories. I'm going to be judging the flower category deciding which weed can actually call itself the best weed in the world. Love it. Mm. We're going to do another commercial. We're going to roll through. No, we're rolling through. Let's do it. Bringing us home today is the self-proclaimed most feared black Latin man alive, political leader, artist, activist, entrepreneur, and a huge, huge, huge fan of um, the right. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all know who it is. Antoine Tony Montega Tucker. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Because somewhere around the world, that is truly what time it is. And I am happy that I'm here with my co-host today. Shout out to everybody, and uh, happy New Year's to everybody. And I gotta, I gotta kind of, I gotta love you, Rico. But I'm not, I'm not a fan of the right. I'm actually the biggest conspiracy theorist. On I, I don't like both sides. I just love Donald Trump. That's just my guy. But let's just yeah. get to Missouri. Forty-five for the win. Forty-five for the win. All right. Um, Let's get to my stories, quick. Missouri police use marijuana odor as a basis of vehicle, and you know, Adam, you know, you gonna take up my buddy list uh, as a basis of vehicle or property searches uh, um, under new bill. Uh, Missouri lawmaker has pre-filed a bill for the two uh, for the 2024 session that would prevent police from using the smell of marijuana as the sole basis of a warrantless vehicle or property search. Gumshoes. The legislation sponsored by uh, Rep. Representative Eon Mackey, a Democrat, would build on the state's voters-approved cannabis uh, legalization law, reform and law enforcement policies in a way that mirrors steps taken by other jurisdictions like Maryland and New Jersey. Mackey filed an earlier version of the bill in 2021, but it did not advance out of the committee. The one-page measure says the odor of marijuana alone shall not provide a law enforcement officer with probable cause to conduct a warrantless search of a motor vehicle, home, or other private property. Several legal cannabis states have similarly, have similarly imposed the restrictions on police, including Maryland, where the governor allowed legislation to go into law last year that blocks warrantless vehicle searches based on marijuana odor alone. New Jersey Supreme Court has already recently upheld similar rules in a case involving improper search. In Missouri, the, um, the implementation of a voter-approved 2022 legislation law has also led to the expungement of more than 100,000 marijuana cases from court records. 
as of November. Meanwhile, marijuana sales in Missouri passed the $1 billion mark in 2023, which includes both adult use and medical marijuana. Of tax revenue received by the state, lawmakers recently announced that $17 million will be used to fund veterans' health, drug treatment, and legal aid. And that is amazing. And that is the end of my—oh, no, it's not. More broadly, Missouri's marijuana system has experienced considerable turbulence this past year, with tens of thousands of products recalled over the allegedly illegal use of hemp-derived cannabinoids from outside the state. In November, officials moved to revoke the business licenses of Delta Extraction, the company of the center of controversy. The incident put state marijuana uh, regulators on their heels regarding practices at uh, product testing labs, which have already come under fire earlier in 2023 over alleged practices of lab shopping as producers sought higher THC potency numbers. Another company, uh, Retailer Point Management, which does, which does business with uh, Shangri-La in Colombia, recently settled a dispute with a union over 15 charges of unfair labor practices. It's part of a broader push by workers at cannabis businesses to organize the industry. Meanwhile, lawmakers in November said the state's marijuana leg uh, regulators overstepped their authority when settling new rules on product branding and packaging meant to limit appeal to children. Business is, businesses also recently filed a lawsuit challenging the stacked local and um, county taxes that company says is unconstitutional. Last month, meanwhile, two Missouri Republicans pre-filed a pair of bills to legalize the medical use of I don't know how you say that, silicon bin and required um, clinical trials, exploring the therapeutic uh, potential of the psychedelic. I don't know how, I don't know, Dave, you can help me out here. It's uh, uh, psilocybin. Psilocybin, psilocybin. It basically means mushrooms. It's a hallucinogenic compound. I don't, I don't do it, but that's the end of my story. Tell me what you think. Is it cool that the police can't pull you over for smelling like the cool? Let me know, co-hosts and people in the chat. Yes, this is this is great. And um, I think they should go ahead and move this to federal law because just nearly every state is saying that now. This is, every state that legalizes is saying that they're no longer going to be doing it. So I think we're at that point. This is, they need yeah. to just make this a blanket law across the I think Texas the is going to suck on that regards because... Like, you could just tell still in other counties where they're trying to enact it, and it's just a real—it's sad, but it's a tool used to violate people's constitutional rights. You know, because yes. they, they let you sell Delta 8, they let you sell these fake flowers in these stores, and when you burn the fake flowers, it smells like the real one. So you could literally be, like, driving, and the police is like, oh, you smoke a pot. No, this is Delta 8, buddy. I don't know what you're talking about. And you still go to jail for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, but you get a chance in the pretrial um, procedures to challenge it. It happened out here in California where the police had to retire their dogs would um, would alert to weed and other drugs. And as soon as they brought one in front of a court uh, and they, they challenged, well, what did you smell? Did you smell weed in there? Because if you did, it's legal. Anything else is not. And so the dogs had to be retired. They got search warrants and, and cases dismissed. So in California, we got this working fairly quickly. But judges still can say, no, I don't, I'm not going to stop it. I really go forward, in which case you roll people up for um, smell of weed. And Tony used the right, the right term. This is a tool law enforcement likes to use to be able to get inside your exactly. business. And smoking weed's legal now. To be able to violate your constitutional rights as an American, Dale. That's what they use right. it for. Violating constitutional rights is, is the like way of the law. law enforcement. But I need to everybody, especially like conservatives, because we're not right-leaning, we're conservatives. We care about the mm -hmm. Constitution. That's right. I just want more conservatives to understand that. Don't start licking boots because, you know, you just saying, oh, back to... No, this is the army for the rich. They come outside every day with a gun, and they're forcing you to pay them money. So, yeah, there are good cops that are out there. 
get in the child traffickers, get in the bad criminals, and get in the bad guys. But then there are also people who are just following orders and taking your money. So you, you have to understand where you need to be putting your energy and who you need to be supporting. Just, I'm just saying, be mindful. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. It seems to me that any state that has a medical cannabis program shouldn't allow for the odor of cannabis to be probable cause. I agree. I that. would sum this up in one word, which is progress. I would. I, I love it. And you know what? This is. This is. You guys are gonna love this. My my uh, my eighty year old aunt just texted me. She said, "You can't go by the smell. What if the guy that owned the car before you smoked, but you don't?" Facts. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. This car stank since I since I bought it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like this every day. <laughs> yes. Thank you all for joining us for for yet another episode of High Nine News. You can catch us live weekdays 9 a.m. Pacific, High Noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fan showing love, getting their comments posted live on the big screen, and um, to our live audience and online supporters catching us across all media platforms, tuning in each day to the headlines of chaos, also known as the developing cannabis industry. To our vetted correspondent team from tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table. To our production team, cloud media partners, our sponsors, keeping the lights on and our AV struggles to a minimum, and especially Adam back there brushing his hair so so How dare so you? frequently. It's <laughs> <laughs> all. As always, Cannabis City for Health, the reason that the Hide 9 News team reads these headlines daily. You know it's always weed for the people. It's always. <laughs> it's, it has been Thursday, January 4th, 2024. The show's over. You've all been blessed the top industry headlines. Hope was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow. Rochelle, taking us out today. What you got? Cold Ooh, Big honor. Um, everybody out there, keep the vibes high, stay positive, and just if you're stressed out, go build a Lego set. It helps. Go build a Lego set. You can build something.